0: What's going on guys? I've got kind of an informal podcast today because I've just gotten back from Patagonia. I literally got back yesterday morning and I'm still a little bit jet-legged and exhausted (laughs) because I was a month in Patagonia, both on the Chile and the Argentina side, doing some photography workshops and just photography in general had an amazing time, had such a good time, despite some really bad weather in the second half of things. There were some really good images that came out of the trip. And I find it very fun doing photography in Patagonia in the fall because it's one of these places that the rest of the year, there's always tourism there. And in the fall, it's kind of like after tourism season is done or at least ending. So tourism season kind of ends on Easter. Easter was fairly early this year. And after Easter, everything starts to shut down. Normal tourists aren't really in Patagonia after Easter. It's just a rarity. So it's this weird place in the world where the only people left are photographers. And it's not just that there's only photographers left. It's that 90% of photographers go to Patagonia in the fall. So, it's not overrun with photographers. There's lots of places to go. But, there are lots of photographers and like 50 to 60% of the people you see are photographers. Either on, you know, photography workshops, like I was leading, or just on their own, or maybe doing backpacking trips. There's tons of photographers. When I was there alone, there was groups from Trent Bloomfield, I almost said James Corden, but I can't remember his name. Oh man, I'm really bad, because that's the actor, isn't it? Or the guy from TV, James Corden. Anyway, Instagram guy, uh, great photographer. Colby Brown was there. Mike Mizua was there. There was just tons of photographers and, and photography tour leaders and things like that in Patagonia when we were there. And every location you go to, it's just tripods. Every hiker you see on the trail, you see tripods. And it's just packed with photographers, and while I was on the trip, we made some good images, I've got them on my Lightroom, and I'm just kind of like skimming through them, and I'm finding some interesting things in my files, and I kind of want to share that with you, and if you're listening, you don't need to be able to see the images to know what I'm talking about, in fact, I'm not even sharing the images right now. So I do want to talk about some of the observations I I made down in Patagonia watching other photographers but also uh, the photographers that I led and also myself in reflection of the images because I think I see a lot of mistakes and I saw a lot of mistakes from other photographers, I saw a lot of mistakes from uh, my own photographers, I saw mistakes from myself. And looking at the images in hindsight provides me a pretty good insight into a lot of the mistakes that landscape photographers in particular seem to make. So on today's podcast, that's what I kind of want to talk about. I basically wrote down four things on this piece of paper and I have not planned what I want to talk about with them in depth. I just kind of want to go through these four things that I thought up when... You know, I was sitting here skimming through my images while drinking a Brazilian coffee. Which tastes a lot like cookies, Choc- like Chips Ahoy cookies. Anyway, good coffee. Back to the photos. So, the, the four things that I have outlined are that photographers show up late or leave early. They're, they don't move. They don't really understand light. And there's a lack of exploration. So I want to dig into those. The first one I wrote actually on my piece of paper is showing up late. Because quite often we'd be at a photo location. Well, you could still see the stars in the sky waiting for sunrise. So sunrise in Patagonia was about 8.30 in the morning. Oftentimes we were there at 6.30 in the morning. And oftentimes at 8.30 in the morning we'd see photographers just showing up. They'd be like, okay, sunrise is at 8.30, we need to be there at 8.15 to watch the sunrise. They show up at 8.15, they see the sunrise, the light starts to get a little bit flat, and they leave. But the thing about light, and the thing about sunrise, is the best light isn't often actual sunrise. It's sometimes way before sunrise, and sometimes it's way after sunrise. Sometimes it's sunrise itself. But a lot of that light is dependent on what the clouds are doing and what sort of situation we were you were in. So Patagonia is a kind of a crazy one and I'm not really sure the reasons why this happens. It also does happen in Canada so maybe it's a mountain thing just catching reflective light early but in my experience in Patagonia the best light you get is always about an hour to 45 minutes before sunrise. In that time you have like this crazy red glow that happens on the clouds and it's not direct sunlight and Sometimes it even reflects off and hits the mountain peaks and you get this crazy Beautiful red glow and I'm not talking about the Alpenglow when the light hits it at sunrise. I'm talking about like way before sunrise an hour before sunrise about an hour before direct light and and Time and time again on this year's trip, we'd be showing up an hour and a half before sunrise, sometimes even earlier, and we'd be, you know, looking at a sky and going, I think I see some color, throwing on the live view of our cameras, and all of a sudden just seeing absolutely stunning, beautiful light. And there was a couple times where we started photographing this light early and it was it's so dark still during this light that you're shooting like f4 iso 400 30 seconds just to get you know a properly exposed image but it's those images that just have the most impact and the most color and the most light and the most you know impactful light i guess is the best way of seeing it and there was many times that we'd be shooting that and then come to be like 15 minutes before sunrise the light got really dull and boring and flat and a lot of photographers were showing up at that time of day Then one of two things would happen. You would get Alpenglow, which is always impressive to see or You wouldn't get Alpenglow and honestly in both of those cases when there was Alpenglow The sky was already kind of blown out from its color And when there was not Alpenglow everything kind of looks flat and it's kind of this realization that you have as a photographer that if you want great images, you have to go early and you have to stay late. When we're in sports, we always talk about the athlete that's first to the gym and last out or hardworking people in general, first to the office, last out. And in photography, it's the same way. The best photographers aren't the ones that have the best luck. They're the ones that work the hardest. They're the ones that do go out and spend those extra three or four hours just sitting at a location or exploring a location rather than just rocking up at sunrise or sunset and taking the photos and then leaving. So that was a really interesting thing to see in Patagonia. We had often at locations up to 15, 20 people there and just seeing what times people showed up and what times people left was really interesting. The second thing I found interesting and I always find interesting is people not moving. I think this is kind of just, it's FOMO in a weird way. Mm -hmm. I think also a lot of photographers have trained other people, find the best composition, wait for the best light, only focus on getting one image, get one really great shot and you've done it. But I think it's kind of like a big problem. I I like to joke on some of my trips that I like to do what I call panic photography, which is, you know, I set up my camera, find a composition, I like it, I wait and wait, I wait patiently for the light, and then as soon as the light happens, I go crazy and I just start running around photographing 30 different compositions before I lose that light. And it might not be the best practice to get one amazing photo, but I'm so interested in how often I go back through my other images and find that the best composition and the best photo wasn't the one I originally sat on. So I don't think you need to feel bad about panic photography, (laughs) about running around panic trying to capture the light. I, I think that if that's how you operate then that's how you operate. Another part of that not moving is it's sunrise in an hour. You've set up your tripod in the best space that you think is available. A lot of photographers literally just stand behind their camera for an hour pressing the shutter every two minutes and then pressing the shutter and then pressing the shutter. Whereas the absolute best thing you can do is set up your tripod, set up your camera, then take your camera off of your tripod and walk around and explore while you wait for the light. You can still go back to your tripod every five minutes or so and set it up and take a picture, but you should still be exploring. In fact, you can do what I often do with two camera bodies and have one camera photographing a really long exposure, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it may be, and then using your other camera to wander around while that photo is exposing. I saw so many times at this location in Torres del Paine, photographers literally just standing behind their tripod, just totally content with their composition. And I'm sure they probably got one good photo, but they probably could have got like four or five, or they might have got one better than the current one. Because how many times do you uh, photograph something and then see some of your friends' photos and go, oh, I didn't see that. You didn't see it because you were standing behind your tripod and not moving. So, move. Just move. It's that simple. Uh, We one time had a a workshop participant. I wish I could remember his name. But Jeff Bartlett, who was leading with me, got so frustrated that he just put a time limit on this person's tripod being in a certain spot. He said, if you're not moving after five minutes, we're going to find you, like, we're going to take your camera and move it for you. Because... I think it is really important to constantly explore. And I'm not saying that the first photo you find might not be a banger. It might be. I'm just saying that there's no reason you can't move. You can't set up that camera on that photo and then look for other things. When I go through these images of Patagonia, it's rare that that first click that I do is the best photo. So move. Okay, number three. I think a lot of people don't really understand light and that is a practice that's something that takes a lot of time and it's something that you have to observe. I always say that one of the hardest things in photography is understanding how your camera sees light. Forget how your eyes see things. Your eyes don't have the same aspect ratio, they don't have the same, you know, focal length, they don't have the same dynamic range as your camera does. and. It does take practice, but you have to try to start seeing the world the way your camera and your lens does. And at that point, it'll start making your life so much easier as a photographer because you'll only photograph the right situations. And not only that, you'll be able to plan for those right situations. You'll learn, okay, I'm in the mountains. I want glow. I need the sun at my back or the side or whatever. And you'll plan your photo shoots around that. The other thing is you'll see the cloud cover and you'll go okay we're cloud covered and backlit but maybe because it's backlit it'll catch more lights and you'll start to learn these things about what you can photograph when. And you'll stop making the mistake of photographing the wrong things at the wrong time and essentially wasting your time to get an average photo. A great example is in El Chal 10, we had absolutely horrible weather one day. A lot of people might have gone, you know, let's go up to the viewpoint and just wish for luck and hope that Fitzroy comes out and hope that the light hits. But as somebody who understands light, I'm going, it's backlit. So even if Fitzroy comes out, it's just going to be a white sky. Two, it's really, really mid-level cloud. So it's not likely that it comes out. Three, the weather's coming from the east to the west, which means it's not going to get blocked by Fitzroy and come over. It's literally just going to get trapped. And four, this overcast soft light is actually the dreamiest, best light for waterfalls and for forests. So instead of wasting our time hoping for an epic photo, we went into the forest and photographed a bunch of really beautiful forest images. And... I know a lot of people in their careers have the goal of taking one epic photo. And I think part of that is Instagram. Everybody just wants one epic photo to share. They don't really care about building a portfolio. But if you're ever trying to be a professional travel photographer, you'll understand that if you're trying to sell photographs to clients, one photo only sells if you're super famous one photo only sells if you are a fine art photographer and that's your whole thing and even then it's probably not going to make you enough money one photo only works if you are a youtuber that only needs one photo in a video one photo only works if you were an Instagrammer who only needs one photo from a location as a professional travel photographer who's trying to make money you need more than one photo you need a portfolio of images that complement each other and show a true description of that destination. One of my giant pet peeves, and I probably should just make a video about this in general, one of my biggest pet peeves in the whole world of photography is seeing um, YouTube entertainer photographers who have never made a living selling photos before YouTube tell people how to make money from photography because they don't really understand it and Yeah, they make money indirectly through photography, through photography entertainment. But if you've never had that struggle of actually having no social media influence at all and literally just have a portfolio of images you're trying to sell to clients, it's really, it's it's impossible for you to comment on how to actually make that happen. And I can tell you from my experience as that person who well before YouTube and social media and all that was selling images, the best way to sell images is to have a diverse portfolio. And the only way to get that diverse portfolio is understanding the light and how you can make the most of it. And so that you don't have wasted days when you're out in the field and it's rainy, you go find something that works in the rain. That when the mountain you want to photograph is backlit and overblown, photograph something else. Uh, And I feel like so many times I would see photographers at locations in the wrong light situations and I would feel bad for them almost because I'd be like, what are you going to do? You're going to do like, you're probably going to replace the sky was what you're going to (laughs) do. That's another subject and another pet peeve. But yeah, we'll get to that another day. (laughs) Um, This kind of goes down to that. My number four thing is the lack of exploration. I really respect a photographer named Colby Brown and a lot of people might not know the name Colby Brown but he is a fairly big name photographer from the states and Colby is always exploring I really respect that about him Colby's been to Patagonia maybe 10 times he's always leaving leading photography workshops there he was one of the first people to go to what me and Greg dubbed the secret waterfall and when I went with this year's group, we went to the secret waterfall and I was surprised that Colby wasn't there. And when I asked, uh, Colby's assistant assistant where they were in the morning, he said, Oh, we were up exploring up the river. And I think that it's so interesting how few photographers still explore. You know, a place like El Chalten is massive and there's so many different images, but so many photographers just go and photograph the same thing over and over and over again. And what's worse is that people will see photographers go to that location and want to go and mimic their photos and not create something unique. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. That's a part of it. Going to a a, a classic location, putting your own spin on it in your own light is part of travel photography. It's also what sells. The Secret Waterfall images sell because they're iconic and because people recognize them. But you also should be exploring new things so that you can be the first to find a new great composition. When I looked back through my images, my Secret Waterfall images are okay, but I've got like three or four other photos from the walk back, not in good light, that I really like that are really beautiful compositions. And I'm not sure I would get up at sunrise to photograph them, but maybe I should. And when I look back at my images from Cerro Torre, they're amazing. I'm really happy with them. But on the way back, I found this incredible composition that someday I'd love to go up and photograph for sunrise because I think it would be incredible. So I think that there's a really, big problem in photography with people just going that's the photo spot that's where i set up my tripod let's go and photograph that and then move on with our day it's almost like it's almost like that game i don't know what it's called the pokemon game that you see people in the streets going and catching Pokemon, that's what it's like. That's what a lot of photography these days is like in travel photography. It's going, okay, I found this Pokemon on the map and swipe, and I've got that Pokemon, and I can move on with my life. And I feel like that happens with photography. And again, I think that that's part of the process. I think as a photographer, you kind of need to do that because you need to have those experiences where the thing is laid out in front of you and you can just go okay this is how i manipulate my camera to get a similar image to the one i've seen before i think that's an important part i just think there also has to be that exploration i think you need to not just show up for sunrise again and take the picture go home it's get up for sunrise in the location take a picture and then spend the rest of the day exploring, trying to find photos for the next day, in new locations. On our trip, the second trip, we had bad weather, and decided to do some exploring, and we found this waterfall, way far away from where all the tourists go in the El Chalten area, and in the end, I think I came up with three or four images at this location that are awesome, and that I'll add to my portfolio from Patagonia. So, That wouldn't have happened without exploring that wouldn't have happened if i went okay the weather's bad all of my locations don't work therefore i just won't shoot today i just won't take any pictures but because of the exploration we made a ton of really good photos and despite really bad weather on the second group of my patagonia trip this year there was a ton of good images from that trip probably just as many as the first half of the patagonia trip where the weather and light was incredible so That was really dramatic. So, go out and explore as much as you can. Don't just go to the classics. Try to understand light. Look through your camera and try to go, why is this doing this? Why is the light good here, bad there, whatever. Try to understand your images. Three, move. Get your booty moving. And four, don't show up late or early. Just don't show up on time. Spend extra time at photo locations before and after sunrise or whenever you're planning on making your image. And that's it for today. I'll talk to you later. Peace.